this is the second conversation that I was able to have as part of our civility podcast and is with Pat and Randy Sunderland. And I just want to thank them for their time and very thoughtful comments. I hope you enjoyed this conversation where we explore several topics, including the importance of looking for your information from multiple dependable resources and the impact that social media is having on all of us. Thank you for joining us. And after this podcast, please make sure you continue listening to the third segment, which is a conversation with Eric Gould. Thank you so much. So I am sitting with Pat Sunderland and Randy Sunderland, and we're going to talk a little bit about civility. And I'm going to add here that I repeat what I already told you guys that I'm asking you guys in particular to sit down simply because you do hear and see and talk to so many different people. And I suspect you have some unique perspective on, on this subject. Um, I'll also add, I didn't say this earlier. Um, I feel like this conversation about civility, it's kind of like buying a new car in that I'm suddenly noticing this topic everywhere. I look, (laughs) um, I'm seeing my new, topic everywhere and so I find that fascinating but it's definitely a conversation that's not just happening here in Delta but seems to be happening in other places too so so with that um, I'd be really curious to hear from both of you what does civility mean to you I'll tell you what it means to me so when I talk about the word civility it doesn't mean that we aren't going to have differences it doesn't mean that we aren't going to disagree but it means that we as a collective community or a collective group agree that we're going to work through those differences and those disagreements with respect and with integrity and coming into it, being willing to um, acknowledge that differences of opinion exist and be okay with that and approach it from that frame of mind when, when we enter into those difficult conversations. That's what it means to me. I want to know from you guys what it means to you and, and maybe even what you've seen Um in your world as you go out and talk with folks around this topic? Well, I hear, because I answer the phone a lot here, uh, of when folks call in and they want to complain about something, um, the first thing I want to do is to identify who they are because they know who I am. Um, so you develop that, you start off with that mutual understanding of who each of us are. And you have to deal with it with respect. You have to listen to what they have to say. And then if you can respond in a respectful way, do so. Explain why, for example, for us, why didn't we cover something one way versus another? Um, You listen to their perspective of why they're unhappy. And then you can respond back in a respectful way that tries to explain well, this is why we did it this way. Understanding the why is always a big part of getting a civil conversation going. It also has to be very respectful. Yeah. And, and I think that civility also requires uh, understanding that at some level you're going to have to perhaps agree to disagree, but come up with a, a compromise or at least common ground that you can acknowledge as so that each side can leave with some sense of resolution, some sense of satisfaction, rather than just leaving this out 
to simmer, to continue to simmer and simmer as time goes on. So you both, um, in your in your work, you hear and see a lot of different conversations around the county. You talk to a lot of different people. Um, do you see division in our county? And, and what do you think is driving some of that, if you do? Um, can we go back to civility? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Because one of the things that we've always done with our letters to the editor, we require people to be willing to put their name to that letter. And it is amazing how quickly the, the sharpness of a letter changes when they know they everybody else will know who wrote that letter. Um, so I think that's part of that civility as well. Anonymity is a great way to, to build anger and angst and disrespect. And, and I think it's, um, it's important when people um, make a comment that they understand that they take responsibility for that comment as well. So I think that's one way to keep civil conversation going. This personal responsibility for that position or, or statement. That actually, so to follow up on that, um, with the letters to the editor, I mean, obviously a lot of people's angst and um, the issues that they're upset about or that they're supporting and want to promote end up in letters to the editor. Um, it's always been everywhere I've ever lived, the letters to the editor are really an important place to, to go to, to read and understand sort of the, the pulse of a community and what the issues are and the topics are of concern. Um, how do you guys balance that, that, how, how do you make that decision of how, how and what to put in there based on what comes through your door? Um, well, it, with the exception of um, elections, when, you know, issues and candidates and can drive a, a, a tremendous increase in the in the submissions. Normally, we do have space to print most of, of what we receive, and and we try not to hold hard and fast. You know, some publications will say you can only submit once a month. You can only submit letters of certain length. You know, we try to be just a, a tad more flexible than that, um, and. So sometimes people will bring me a letter to the editor and they'll say, well, take a look at this and see what you think. Well, it doesn't make any difference what I think. You know, I it's not up to me to agree or disagree with what you are saying in your letter to the editor. Uh, it's just up to me to allow you the space to, to do that, to, to make that statement. And and so, again, you know, as long as you're willing to sign your name and 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 express yourself again that we do we embrace a certain level of civility in our letters to the editor too because we're not going to let people start you know just slinging arrows at, at uh, just because they disagree with maybe what someone stated in a previous letter you know they can disagree with what that person had to say without getting personal about that individual themselves and right. that's also yeah. a huge element of that, civility that is such a huge element and it's something that we see in our letter writers that Often their first attempt, and if we say, well, this is too much of a personal attack, they focus on the individual and not the subject or the topic at hand, and they get sidetracked. And then they start attacking that person, and they completely forget about trying to explain their position on a topic. And um, that's that's the heart of being civil, I think, is to, to go beyond that personal issue that personality and get to the heart of the matter and see the bigger picture. Right. 
That's great. Um, letters to the editor, I think, are a critical part of that infrastructure that helps the community sort of air their issues and their their ideas. So, and and during the, uh, for instance, an election or a, a heated debate about a certain topic, it's uh, it's opens your mind to uh, you know to consider other possibilities, other viewpoints, and and bring up some angles that you might have not have contemplated on your own. And so, yeah, that's, it, it just broadens your perspective of, you know, we all recognize that sometimes we listen to the people who have similar viewpoints. We watch the TV news that kind of endorses our viewpoint. You know, you've got to, it's the things like the letters to page that help you expand beyond, you know, what your usual line of thinking is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah see a different perspective yeah and i think that's that's one of the things that um i personally think as a county we we could work on collectively which is being more proactive in looking for and hearing other perspectives from those that we have ourselves and when i say the county i mean all of us that live here not not the county government that we'll talk about that in a minute i think that's that's yet a different conversation and how the county as an entity approaches civility versus the community that lives in the county. Um, and, and how do we bring those two together? That's ultimately what I hope this conversation turns into, is how do we start bringing those two together? All right, I'm going to go to the next question then. So the, the one that you hear and see a lot of different conversations around the county, and you talk to a lot of different people. Do you see division in our county, and what do you think drives that? Well, absolutely there's division in our county. It's a... I think everyone recognizes that Cedar Edge and Paonia are different. Hotchkiss and Delta, I mean, you know, there, there's just a lot of diversity in our in our county. And when I meet people that are new to the area, I'm always interested to hear, you know, well, what brought you here and 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 how are you finding things? And you know, that it just underscores that you know, we've we've got the urban folks that have moved from the front range to escape the traffic and you know and now they find themselves in a rural environment we've got the the conservatives and we've got the liberals you got the newcomers and the old timers you, you know that's it it's just a model of diversity so <laughs> yeah as a culture we've become that um we seek out others that think like us that talk like us we we have forgotten or we are moving away from the idea that we are building a community, that we are part of a neighborhood, part of a town, part of a county. Um, it's too easy for us to turn around and say, you know, gee, I'm, I've got 30 friends that all say the same thing on Facebook. That doesn't broaden your horizons, that makes you more insular. And I think that as a culture, that's the challenge that we're faced with, that we are becoming more insular. And, um, in doing so, we are less willing and receptive to uh, ideas that are different from our own. And yet, we're being forced all into the same space together as we as we grow in diversity and and people of different ideas, of cultures, opinions, kind of get pushed together as we do change. Um, one of the communities I used to work for, we called it the fleece versus the flannel. Um, <laughs> it was the old timers versus the newcomers. Yes. Like fleece versus flannel. And 
It's a real thing. It is a real thing. Um, I can know when you say that. I can. <laughs> well, and, and you know, I, as I think about, you know, you you have lived in a community such as Delta County that has very few regulations, so you you begin to believe that your position is the only position, and you when you want to impose a building code, for example. Um, instead of saying, well, that will make my building a better building because we're meeting a standard. Instead, it's someone telling me what to do, and that becomes a, a, a flashpoint, something that, um, so it becomes a, an issue of, of education. It becomes an issue of receptiveness of a new idea as well. Yeah, goes and both ways. It, it, it goes both ways. And, yeah. and when you live, when you're in a, a small insular group that they all say, building codes are bad and if that's all you ever hear then your your viewpoint will always be no matter what comes your way it's bad um, instead of saying well my my neighborhood will be a my, my house will be more worth more money five years down the road if i have sidewalk curb and gutter uh, those kinds of little things uh, it comes back to perspective um, you see where something can create a positive for you or is it costing you something so that to me is like you're hitting right on a key issue for this conversation that we're having that we're we're going to be really kicking off a public conversation we've been doing education and what we've been calling foundation building leading up to a community conversation about land use regulations and the reason that this topic of civility that we included it in this foundation building component of the process is that we're literally going to be talking about my rights and my property versus you and your rights and your property and our perceptions about what I should be able to do versus what you should be able to do. And we are faced with that flashpoint every single time we have a remotely controversial application come through the planning department. And, you know, 90% of the projects that we do go through without any issues. But that small percentage that have issues man, do they have issues and it is not easy. And we, we desperately want to figure out a way that we can have those kinds of conversations in a more productive way. And so what can I do with my property? What are my rights? What should I be allowed to do? And then what happens with when, when what I want to do comes into conflict with your perception of your rights and your property. And, um, I don't know the answer to that, and I certainly don't think our land use regulations are going to solve that problem, but I'm hoping that they will help minimize um, the intensity of those conflicts when they happen. Private property rights are highly valued in Delta County. They are. <laughs> highly valued. They are. <laughs> and unfortunately, most people view them as... Almost not sacred. A, but not, not as a protection for them but as uh, and a possible, they, they view it as you're trying to infringe on me rather than turning on the other side and saying, but it will protect me from something that my neighbor might be doing. You know, people, so I, you need to just figure out how to broaden people's viewpoint of property rights and how they go, they go both ways. <laughs> they do go both ways. And um, we get to walk right smack into the middle of, of yeah. those two perceptions um, and perspectives with this process. Um, it's a little scary. <laughs> um, and it's scary in that 
um, at the end of the day, we're not going to make everybody happy. And um, it's going to impact a lot of people, hopefully positively, but it may impact some people negatively, at least in their perception it might. And, and we have to find a balancing act between those two things, um, which I think I'll jump to one of my next questions because it's, it's related to this line of thinking, which is um, because some people may not perceive that this is a positive thing for them, I'm sure they're going to be have a lot of anxiety and angst about this conversation. Um, and there might be others that really are thrilled about it and, 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 and not going to have a whole lot to say because they just think it's the right thing and there's going to be a whole bunch of people somewhere in the middle. And it comes to, I think, the heart of this conversation around civility is um, not just being able to have a conversation with somebody else in a respectful way, but at the end of the day, everybody wants to feel heard. They want to feel like their ideas, their concerns, their fears have been listened to. And I wonder, as you guys have had conversations around the county, if you see what that means. What does it mean to be heard? And when have you seen that happen versus when people aren't feeling heard? What, what, what's the distinction that you see there when, when you're out and about and, and witnessing all these conversations around the county? From a personal experience, um, when I was involved with the committee that uh, was working on the Bill Hill's Rec Center, um, I personally was um, probably one of the folks not fully on board with the project. I thought it was very expensive, and I didn't really understand why replacing the swimming pool with a much larger, more complex project was to was necessary. So I'm I'm kind of the the anti voice, but I was involved in that process of 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 putting together a project for the community. And I think that's an important component within any kind of being heard element. When you put together a um, a, a group of shareholders or stockholders or whatever, um, don't get all voices that sound the same. Find that diversity within the components of those planners that um, uh, allow different perspectives to be introduced, to be talked about. Um, I became known as the rock wall guy on the committee because someone came to me from the community and said, well, we'd really like to have a climbing wall in the, the rec center. So I brought that to the committee. As a committee, we made a decision. We can't afford it. The, the user base is probably not large enough to really sustain it. So we made a decision and we moved on. And that's part of it as well. Hearing them is one thing. Listening to their elements that they want introduced weigh the, the advantages and disadvantages of their perspectives and then make a decision. And if the decision is made properly with a broad enough perspective, um, then I think you can find consensus within the community. Not everybody will be happy, but at least you will have weighed the pros and cons of all the different positions. And I think sometimes putting um, people's thoughts and ideas into writing is kind of a visible sign that 
you've heard what they had to say. So whether that involves, you know, them writing their thoughts down on sticky notes and putting them up on a wall or someone, you know, with a big easel writing down everybody's thoughts, I think that is acknowledgement that you've heard what they have had to say. And there again, you've just got to go to the next step where you, you may have heard what they said, but, but it may not figure into the final decision. And so, you know, now they're back to, well, did they? No, they didn't hear what they said. They weren't listening. They weren't, you know, they were, this was all just a, a dog and pony show. You'd made up your mind long beforehand. You know, yeah. we hear that a lot. And so I guess that a constant assurance that no, we haven't made up our minds. This is a process. You know, I don't, I don't know how you convince people that that is indeed the case, but, but that that's a common misperception that. And yeah. I've observed in, in various meetings, uh, you know, sometimes town council will sit there and they will accept comments. So the person stands up and they speak. But then there's no indication from the governing body that they've heard. They'll sit there and they'll hold, you know, they may not even look at the person as they're speaking. And then they'll say, thank you very much, but there's no response back. And that's very unsatisfactory. In other town meetings and our other councils, um, the folks that show up to the meetings are very much part of their meetings. In Crawford, for example, those folks come there and they'll sit there and in the middle of a discussion on a topic, They'll raise their hand or they'll just blurt out something and and it becomes an element within that discussion. They've been hurt and um, there's a response back to them. So um, how a person is allowed to bring their thoughts into the process is a very important um, element in that. Um, just having them state their case and then sit down is not being hurt. Yeah. Uh, it's... Um, you're just adding to the preponderance of something or the other. Um, so I would encourage. <laughs> and and I think the uh, the so-called silent majority needs to quit being so silent. You know, it's just you. If you're going to be part of the conversation, you need to be part of the conversation. And and it's hard for. A room full of people to speak out on one side of an issue and yet you know your governing body is say but I've heard this and and you know then the, of course the constituents in the room are like well okay where are they why aren't they speaking out here and you know it's time for the silent majority to speak out <laughs> yeah, and, and it's also this is one of my pet peeves is that someone will come to us and say everyone believes this well no when you say that I believe this and I believe a lot of others believe that same thing. But don't say I represent everybody because yeah. they don't. Well, and the, the bottom line there is engagement. We need, in order to have truly civil discourse and, and, and community conversation, we need people of all opinions to engage. So this is a call for that. Like we need everybody who is, you know, I had a conversation with somebody else um, that, that suggested, they dared to suggest that this is boring stuff, um, that maybe this is, that planning is boring to most people. And, and it probably, I know it is, it's technical, it's, um, there's all kinds of uh, industry language and acronyms and all kinds of things. And we've got to figure out how to break that down to make it more accessible to everybody. 
Um, but at the end of the day, this stuff affects every single one of us that live here. Um, it affects what you, you know, affects you and your property, whether you're renting or whether you own. It affects um, your neighbors. It, it, it literally affects us on a day-to-day -day basis. We need everybody to get involved. But um, I live in the city of Delta. It still affects you. What happens in the county affects the cities, the municipalities, and vice versa. That was, that, I, yeah. I was being the devil's advocate. No, I no, mean. it does. <laughs> it affects us. And, and when you say it affects us... Um, to create that atmosphere of a civil conversation, I think that you as a governing body need to go to the next step that says this is how it affects you. Yeah. Um, but whether or not you'll have that opportunity, that time span to get into that counterbalance is another issue. But, but that's part of my, when you talk about issues, take out the, you, you need to have a foundation of understanding of that topic as you comment on it to have validity and to be heard. And so many people will stand up in a meeting and say, well, I believe this and blah, blah, blah. And, and the next thing you know, the U.S. Constitution is drawn into it and, and what they heard on, on the TV or on Facebook, whatever is drawn into it. And they really don't have a true understanding of what they're trying to convey. And I, I think that that's always going to be an element in there. But back to that subject of being heard, if they're conveying something and no one understands what they're trying to say, maybe it's appropriate to come back and say, well, I don't understand what you're trying to get across to me. Uh, can you approach Can you say it in a different way? Or, you know, I don't know. I, I know that when you're in a room full of 150 people that are wanting their say, it's difficult to get into a give and take. Um, but, you know, that's one of the advantages is being with the newspaper on a weekly basis. Uh, we have that advantage of being able to come back and maybe right. open up the conversation a little bit. Ask those probing questions. Um, yeah, I think that uh, this the issue of, of expressing how and and how it affects you, we, we definitely, we can do more with that. And, and I'm hopeful as we start exploring options like this podcast, like, you know, we're really learning more about the capacity of our website, for example, and, and what we're able to do and to share information. Um, we're using social media more to get information out that, that we can start making some gains there, but it's not easy. Um, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. So, but I, I think we're making some progress. I, I think. And um, the fact that we've got a podcast, I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I'm excited about it. Um, to go back to your question of, I live in the city of Delta. How does this affect me? Here's the bottom line. There's a perception outside and inside of Delta County that we're a difficult place to do business. That, that, that it's difficult to start a new job or start a new business here, bring jobs here. There's a perception out there. And it doesn't matter if you're in the city or in, you know, Hotchkiss or Cedar Edge. It doesn't matter if, if the town of Cedar Edge is the most business-friendly community on the entire western slope. Delta County as a whole, there's a perception that we are not. Hmm. And that's part of what this conversation is about, is fixing that perception. So it does impact everybody. Because I've, I've definitely heard that. You know, that statement yeah. made about the city of Delta specifically, 
and I know the Delta City, our current city council has just been making a tremendous effort to try to overcome that yeah. that uh, concept and, and and try to indicate that they're more business friendly, but I hadn't realized it extended to the entire county. Yeah, we hear that regularly um, when we're talking to people, and it's I think it's a perception. It's, mm-hmm. you know... Um, it's anecdotal, we, but we hear it. It's one of the driving factors behind us doing this land use code update, for sure. Yes. That we fix that perception so that we all... Well, benefit. I understand that because as a... When we were building a home, we had the same thought, you know, as, as a potential business might have, uh, that you question whether you want to make a, a, a large investment economic investment in an area that where anything goes basically yeah. and and uh, we had that same discussion when we were looking at building a house it's like well do we want to go out this two acre parcel in the county when you have no concept what might be built right next to you and, yep. and we hear that a lot and in the end it's like no we'll stick with the city yep. <laughs> where you know what's going to happen next yes. door and as we were looking for a home and we, we looked real seriously at a house the driveway came out and right across the street from it, and right across in the vacant pasture, was all kinds of trash and junk. And it was very unappealing. And we said, no, I don't want this house, even though we like the house. Right. But the fact that right next door was a totally uncontrolled junk pile. That does affect, yes. I bought one of those houses that's right across from that. And, um, <laughs> you know, I guess there's there's that, too, that living here requires um, some constitution, right, <laughs> at times. Um, because we do have those freedoms. And we have to, I mean, people, there's a lot of folks that live in this county that that is why they live here, too. And that's what... And we have to find a balance between those perspectives. And that's what I've heard yep. over and over when this discussion has come up is, like, because you get the pushback from those people who this this is why they live in Delta County. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's critically important to this conversation, too. Yes. We've got to balance those two things. You guys kind of addressed this question already, um, but I just want to see if you want to add to it. So how can we, the county, help those with differing opinions? And not just differing opinions between themselves, but differing opinions with the county. Participate more effectively in this difficult, messy thing we call democracy and local government? Well, first off, I don't think you should expect them to show up at every meeting. <laughs> I think there should be other avenues for input because, yeah, not, not everyone wants to no. sit through that. And especially if they think that the meeting might be dominated by some very vocal one-sided individuals, I mean, there's a, that's a fear. Mm-hmm. But again, you can't be part of the so-called silent majority. You've got to be able to speak out, and if you don't feel comfortable doing it in that meeting, there just has to be other avenues. So. Um, I think that um, it comes down to perspective. When you are the government side, the county side. Um, you live within a framework that's very well defined. That you have a set of statutes come from the state. And this is our operating platform. 
John Doe out in the middle of Peach Valley who has no neighbors, and it's his pride and joy because it's all he can afford, he doesn't have that sense of parameters that you are operating from. And then when the county would come in and try to impose those rules and regulations upon him, that's a very difficult mountain to climb to convince him that those rules and regulations, which are part of your world in the county, are also part of his world. Uh, I think that's the challenge that the government faces. Uh, we see it a lot of times with elected officials. When someone runs for town council, they understand what their neighbors think, but then they get on the council and then they understand, okay, they start to learn that, okay, this isn't allowed and I didn't know that. Well, okay, here's another set of frameworks that the town works in or the city works with or the county. Um, suddenly the individual stops being from the people and he starts to defend the county side or the government side because he understands that world a little better. The, the average citizen doesn't understand that world. And when issues such as county planning, land use planning, um, now you're trying to interfere with that person's understanding of their, their perception of the world. So how do, you, how do you bridge? I don't have the answer other than encourage people to get a broader view, to learn more about that, that element that, that uh, is framed within the state. Um, pay attention. To, yeah. to when decisions are made uh, during budget time, especially because that's when policy is set. Um, so I don't know. It's a, it's an educational thing, as constant, much as anything. Constant, yeah, constant education and involvement. Yeah, and I think uh, now that the weather's warming up and we're starting to hear about community celebrations and and those kind of events i think that's a good opportunity for the county to be more visible you know not to always expect that people are going to show up and visit with the county commissioners during con constituent time at a meeting but that you're out and about in the community it's you know it's a two-way street this communication that yeah. you're trying to establish and and of course it's a a great opportunity to educate to get input to exchange ideas and you know in a more a less formal setting that, that some people might feel very comfortable with so very good so last question i have for you guys this has been really fun by the way i love these conversations i get a ton <laughs> out of them um so you as journalists um what role does media play in this broader conversation of civility and how do you see social media fitting into the broader conversation of civility. Words matter. And, and from our perspective within our newspaper, we tend to use um, more moderate verbiage than other peers within our journalistic uh, industry. But uh, you can either you can choose a word that incites an emotion, and often in our world it incites anger or distrust or um, any of those elements, or you can choose a word that is more moderate 
Um, that's something that we, with the Delta County Independent, have always tried to do, take that you know, less controversial, uh, not position, but um, framework within the words that you use. Try to get the ideas across without um, creating a crisis, creating a, a fight, um, those kinds of things. Um, the role that we play as a media is to try to present um, a balanced viewpoint, to express, you know, within the city of Delta, trying to express that uh, within this debate about medical marijuana, the people have made their position known through an election that we want to allow medical marijuana within our boundaries. Um, now the elected officials need to remember that as they frame their policies that allow that to happen. Um, and we need to be reporting all those facets in there and not just be the spokesperson uh, or that platform that one position or the other side or there's always more than two sides to an right. issue. Um, but those opposing sides, um, don't let them dominate that conversation. Try to keep every element involved. And I think um, social media plays a vital role in, in people's lives. But again, it, it sometimes creates the opportunity for people to um, express themselves with it, no limitations on on how how they express themselves. You know, they they can either sometimes they're anonymous just by virtue of their name, but other times you recognize who they are. But but you'll see a comment made, and then someone immediately attack that comment. You know, it just it unfortunately seems to invite a level of non civility that, <laughs> and, and it's hard to. Hard to temper that without constant uh, monitoring of, of of a Facebook page, and then it—that's not the point of it. So it's it's very tough to get people to uh, express themselves to keep their comments, you know, civil. And sometimes you, you see where other commenters are the ones that are the kind of trying to pull the reins in and you know make people. And, be more and civil. Coming from a print background where we um, tend to expect a, a more in-depth kind of coverage, social media seems shallow. Um, you're you're um, limited to one paragraph or even one sentence and then the response is just one sentence and it becomes easy to get into that, that emotional response now you have emojis to add to it, exactly. so where you now can say everything with an emoji. It's not even a word. It's you know, it's a little stuffed animal. Um, so, I, the danger of social media is that it is not the only source you can rely on to provide you with sound information. Um, as I was growing up, I was taught you read it different perspectives by reading different sources and not necessarily sources you agree with. In Facebook, you don't have that ability to go out and, and um, or any social media, really. Right. You don't have that ability to 
expand on your understanding of an issue, it tends to coalesce into a flashpoint or a single pressure point. And um, you know, the, the wonder of the internet is that it's easy to go out and find that, but it becomes an effort. Right. Um, I have to go beyond that emotional argument that says, okay, I take a deep breath and say, okay, what don't I know about this subject? How can I find that information? Well, yeah, and if social, if it's, you know, true that social media's algorithms feed you information based on your interactions and the people you know, then that goes back to our earlier conversation about you end up in, you know, listening to and talking to people of similar ideas and maybe not getting that broader perspective. Um, so it, everyone has to take a conscientious effort to do that. I, I know I do that. I, I'm a headline junkie. I don't necessarily always read an article, but I look for the headlines. And when I start to see similar headlines coming up across multiple platforms, then I go read the articles. Um, but I don't tend to read all articles that come across, but I definitely pay attention to the headlines and um, headlines matter for sure. Um, but, you know, you can look at a headline on CNN versus Fox News or on The Atlantic um, versus the Washington Post or something like that. And it's the same topic, but just the headlines even <laughs> capture the distinction of, of perspective that's happening sometimes. And yeah, I, we all need to do that. And the other thing that social media, um, social media tends to um, make people less inclined to find out more about their world because they are so overloaded with information. Yeah. Um, I think that um, it's in, we, we live in a, a county that we have wonderful places to get alone and to think about things. Uh, so you can kind of sift out those things. But if you're constantly bombarded by this argument and this argument and this argument, you just want to take a, a step back and then you begin to wonder, okay, why do I want to even be involved? Yeah. Um, so that's the danger within. And then you go out and find someone in your social media group that has the same ideas. So now you've reinforced that you know, yeah. in your position. Yeah, it's something we all need to be thinking about and conscientious of. And um, so at our civility forum that happened, one of the moments that really stuck with me, um, one of the groups, so we had the students from the high school that are involved with LULAC, they facilitated conversations um, at the meeting. And at one of the tables, um, one of the questions we asked was, where do you get your news from? And how do you trust those sources? And so we had this group of teenagers leading these conversations and it, it jumped out and you know they acknowledged that um, there's a generational shift happening. So older generations definitely inclined to, to get their news and their information from traditional sources. Um, and younger generations are relying on social media for mm -hmm. their information. And what a societal shift that is if, if we continue to do that and we have those challenges that you just talked about. Um, that came out and it struck me. Um, I'm somewhere in between. So I've got my foot in the social media door strongly as a Gen Xer, um, but also really, really rely on traditional media and really battling my children to help me like you have to educate them. It's a conversation that has to be had with our younger generations about balancing that out. And it really came out in that meeting. And I, I found that really fascinating. 
but you, because of you are looking at a broader level of source and uh, sources and have uh, some life experiences, I'm sure that you have a, a much better concept of what's genuine and you know what would be considered fake news, but I don't understand how our high school students can differentiate that. Because if it comes up on their feed, I think, I mean, at what level do they say, this is not plausible? <laughs> no, I think that's a legitimate issue. And I, I don't know about these, about, you know, the younger generations coming. Well, I do know I've got that. I, I have them. I have children that are um, under under 20. I have a 19-year-old and, and, and younger. And um, when I was growing up, the internet was just starting, right? The internet was new. And, you know, it was don't trust anything you read on the internet. That was a mantra. You don't yeah. trust it. Yeah. You you know, you couldn't, when you were writing a paper, you could not cite a website mm -hmm. as a as a source for, for your research paper. You had to back that up with a traditional resource. You had to go find it in print, um, whether that was newspaper, uh, magazine, or... Encyclopedia. Yeah, encyclopedia. <laughs> you and, and you had to reference it. There was no referencing a website, just not allowed. And and boy has that shifted. Yeah. I I, I don't know. With with my background within print, um, I encourage people to pick up a paper, pick up a magazine, because what happens when you pick up that paper, you may get caught up in the, the lead story. But it's that serendipitous moment when you notice that story next to it or that photograph that is yep. totally unrelated. Suddenly you've learned something and you've broadened your horizon. Yep, absolutely. You don't get that with social media or with just news feeds off of your phone. Yeah. You're letting someone else make that decision of what's important. Well, I, I think, you know, we've seen the response from the city and county and, you know, where the... We're, now we're using taxpayer dollars to fund people to, you know, post legitimate things or address concerns that are raised on social media because it's, and, and I don't, it's a constant, constant churn of new uh, information on, on Facebook and misconceptions. and <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we, we are, we are investing in. We are investing taxpayer dollars in trying to make sure that the information that we believe to be accurate yes. is available right. for anybody who's interested in looking at it. Yeah. Um, and that, I think that's one of the things that I hope, I mean, this is a societal issue that we, we don't get lazy about educating ourselves and that we do the research and we draw our own conclusions instead of letting other people draw them for us. Yeah. We're losing that battle. We're too busy to take the time, and yet we have to take the time to. No, get but educated. I think that is what you do. What you do get sometimes on social media is other people are drawing your conclusions, and you're. It's easy to just chime in there with the like button, and yep. you know. I agree. Not putting any effort yep. on your own thought and research. I totally agree. <laughs> I like it. And, and, uh, again, it comes back. The, the fine distinction between our government. Our government is not a democracy. Our government is a democratic republic. Yes, it is. Our time to be a democracy is in the voting booth. So we elect a representative, 
And if the representative isn't doing what you want to do, we have ways to seek redress. But the number one responsibility is to elect that, that representative that you think will represent you the best. Um, don't go hollering at town hall because your voice isn't part of that decision. Your voice was made at the voting box. But we've got a whole cultural shift that says we're a democracy when we're not. And, and that's part of what's creating the division within our society, is that we believe that we have a, vo a vote in what our government decides to do at the decision-making level, and we don't. We have a vote at the representative level. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And that, I don't think, is being taught to our young people. So that generational shift is happening because they don't have respect for the way our government is set up. And that's why you're seeing at the national level a discussion of changing our whole government. And, and uh, I don't know how you correct that. Probably you don't. We, we evolve. But, uh, but I think that's an important component of what you're trying to get across to in this process. This is not a democratic process. Um, we work within a framework of laws and policies and governments that are set by elected representatives of you. Your time to be truly involved is at the election time. Right. And to ask those questions then, not to ask those questions after he's in office and or she's in office, and say, well, that's not what I thought you wanted to do. Right. No, you're absolutely right. I don't think people understand that. Um, and in the, you know, the, then the interesting thing is here we are in the process of making policy, making law, and we're inviting input. So that adds con maybe confusion to the mix, and yet it's so critically important. And, and I think people, how do we help people understand that, that there's a process. It's helping people learn and understand the process and be effective participants in the process. Thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you for your time. Yeah, I appreciate this. Um, <laughs> I, I find these conversations fun and um, I get a lot out of them. So.